Welcome to this podcast series of Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation, called Amongst Critical Friends. My name is Sarah Franke and I will be your host in this podcast. This podcast series is a place for critical reflection. In Amongst Critical Friends, we invite changemakers in business, civil society, policy and academia to the Centre for Social Innovation in Cambridge Judge Business School to talk about their work, their ideas and their motivation to make the world a better place. In this podcast, we focus on the practice of social innovation. We connect practice and theory, dig deeper for intellectual curiosity and professional betterment and challenge each other's viewpoints and ideas. Here we are amongst like-minded people who are striving towards a more just and sustainable world through their work. But we know that good intentions alone are not enough to make a positive impact. So to help us sharpen our ideas and be more effective, we need to challenge ourselves and be challenged. Since practitioners interview practitioners in this podcast, let me introduce myself shortly. My expertise is bottom-up approaches to social issues. I have a decade of experience in social innovation in the Netherlands, where I've worked with government, unions and housing associations who want to improve the solutions they offer to their citizens, members and tenants. My clients want to be close to and empower the people they work for. But this ambition creates a paradox. How to, top-down, stimulate bottom-up influence and initiatives. Currently, I'm involved in the Center for Social Innovation as a student of the part-time master's program to take time to reflect on my work as practitioner. This is a great way to be challenging my practice and my ideas. For this podcast, I'm joined by Noah Gavni. She's the CEO of the online communication AG Impact Squared and a practitioner fellow of the Center for Social Innovation. She has 15 years of work experience at the intersection between people and technology, working with online communities in support of social change initiatives. Now with her company acquired by Dahlberg Media, she has created more time to reflect on her professional experience and write about the dynamics she has seen and sees happening. The theme of our conversation will be rebuilding trust. Noah is developing a framework around this theme that will turn into a book. Together we'll be stress testing her ideas. Welcome Noah. Uh, could you tell a bit more about you in your own words? Sure, thank you Sarah for having me on this podcast. Really excited to be here. Um, so my background, as you mentioned, I have 15 years of experience in the social impact space, uh, particularly looking at the ways that social media uh, can empower social causes. Um, and so I started my career as an entrepreneur. I founded a social network for women back in 2005. Uh, that was something that gave me a lot of experience in the sector. It was the early days in the sector um, and really helped me figure out what works, how do we mobilize people on and offline to create an impact and to connect them in really effective ways. Um, from that experience, I went on to work at Hearst Magazines, where I was the head of social media as part of their founding digital team. So I was working uh, with large brands like Cosmopolitan, Marie Claire, Harper's Bazaar, and others uh, to really get their social media initiatives and online communities off the ground. Um, after a couple of years at Hearst, I decided that I, I really wanted to move back into the social impact sector. And so I did my MBA at London Business School and from then went on to work at the World Economic Forum. Uh, at the forum, I was a fellow and helping set up the Global Shapers community, which is a network for people under 30 from all around the world. Uh, by the time I left, there were you know, over 3,000 young people in 300 cities worldwide uh, working together to make their communities more effective and efficient. And of course, uh, a big selling point of the Global Shapers community was that we got to bring a group of exceptional young people to the World Economic Forum's annual meeting at Davos every year. Um, so we were able to connect these young leaders with global leaders. 
Um, after leaving the forum, I started Impact Squared, which as you mentioned is a social change communications consultancy. Uh, we've worked with UNICEF, International Crisis Group, uh, and a number of foundations to really help them engage young people uh, and empower, empower and improve their online communities and their social media. Um, as you mentioned as well, Dahlberg Media has acquired Impact Squared. It was acquired back in December. And so we've been working uh, to transition Impact Squared into a larger environment where uh, Dahlberg has over 20 years of experience working in this space with large UN agencies, international organizations, and foundations. Um, and given that I have a bit more time now, I'm really looking at what I've seen and the ways that social media and social impact are converging. And one of the areas that I see as a huge opportunity for this is in the area of trust. So uh, really excited to be here and share a bit more about that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you also worked, as you mentioned, a lot of with uh, online communities uh, to facilitate social change. Um, I really look forward to talking to you because I've worked also a lot with community, but mostly offline. So I thought it would be a great combination to talk about this topic. I found in my work that building trust between different parties is one of the key components of a successful combined bottom-up, top-down approach. And so when you told me about this topic, it immediately piqued my interest because I thought, hmm, trust is something I find between two parties and not like in general, uh, like a general state of trust. So because of you told me and we, we exchanged uh, some thoughts about it, I know now that there is such a thing as the trust barometer. So the Edelman's trust barometer measures the trust of the public in government, NGOs, business and media. So in 2017, uh, the barometer measured a broad decline in trust in these institutions, something that hadn't been measured since Edelman began tracking trust in 2012. So. And they, they still track it every year, and that's not much has uh, changed since then, as the barometer revealed in the beginning of this year, a world in a state of seemingly stagnant distrust. I was curious, so you have, you're working on this framework, and you've done a, a quite some thinking. Why do you think the trust in these institutions is overall declining? So I see a lot of technological reasons as well as societal reasons. So in terms of technological reasons, you know, there's a lot in the zeitgeist about social media, right? And this idea of fake news and filter bubbles and the race to the bottom for people's attention. Um, we're also looking at the sharing economy. So, you know, when you look at platforms like blockchain, Uber, Airbnb, and others, uh, there's really a question about who's in charge, right? And uh, especially with Facebook, Google, and others, there's this question of, are they a publisher? Are they a platform? And what responsibility do they need to take? Um, and finally, when we look at you know, hacking, uh, whistleblowing, and radical transparency. What does that mean for our ability to build trust in the day-to-day -day when everything is so public? So those are just a few of the technological factors. And then we will look at societal factors, everything from globalization and rising inequality to the changing role of business um, and expectations around what business can and should do, um, as well as you know the new multipolar geopolitics and the rise of populism. We're seeing a lot of reasons why trust is declining. Obviously, you know there's there's so much happening at once in this confluence of factors is really contributing to trust decline. So you've worked 15 years, right? So if we say like the, the Edelman's barometer also traced it over a part of over that time, is there any examples you've seen in your work where you actually see that, has seen that decline happening? 
Um, especially when we look at my area of expertise in social media. Uh, we're really seeing the, the adoption curve in terms of how people feel about social media and how they're reacting to these platforms. So initially there was a healthy skepticism, uh, but as things like the Arab Spring took place, it seemed like social media you know, took on this overly optimistic perspective of what social media could do, right? We saw um, examples of social media spurring revolutions and helping people build movements, something that you work on quite a lot, right? So how do we, you know, in interact with the online world in ways that have offline impact? Um, and what we're seeing now is there's been such a critical mass of online to offline, um, and it's become so convoluted in the ways that these social platforms work, is that they're actually helping you know, decline trust because we're seeing a race to the bottom for people's attention. We're seeing that people are focused more on what's negative and sharing that accordingly. Um, and platforms are tweaking their algorithms to make people stay on these platforms longer. And as we know, negative information is both you know, more compelling and stays with people longer in, in terms of their psyche. So actually, what we're seeing in these, is these platforms as they're evolving, they're not necessarily evolving for the greater good. Yeah, and it's actually interesting, you also, of course, mentioned Facebook as one of the big social media. So you could also say that this decline in trust in Facebook, for example, as a platform is also a good thing because people who are watched privacy online issues and, and yeah, we're really interested in that weren't really surprised when Cambridge Analytica scandal came out and more people realized how Facebook is actually uh, using our data and, and more people are actually more critical aware of that, hey, if something is free online, I might be paying in a different way, for example, with my personal data. So we could say it's a decline in trust or it's maybe a more critical awareness or more media critical. How do you see that? Is it, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? So I think it's important to have, as you call us, a healthy skepticism of these platforms, right? They are ultimately there um, as for-profit initiatives that are there to make money. And so we need to be critical of how they use our data and what they're doing with it, right? Um, in terms of the real-world impact, it's unfortunate that you know, these platforms are having a negative real-world impact on what we see as the role of government, um, as what we believe in terms of the potential for business and NGOs to have a more positive impact on the world. Uh, and so, you know, because of this way that we're consuming information, uh, it's actually changing not only the way that we perceive these platforms, but we perceive other sectors as well. And that's what I think is, is the challenge and that's what I'm most concerned about. Yeah, what is the danger of declining trust? What is, what is the societal impact we should be scared of? So when we look at some of the current research that's happening, uh, people like Rachel Botsman, uh, who is a trust researcher looking at the sharing economy, you know, she talks about us moving into an age of distributed trust, which is basically peer-to-peer. -peer. Um, obviously, there are a lot of benefits to having peer-to-peer -peer interactions and peer-to-peer -peer trust. But when we look at the decline of trust in experts and the decline of trust in institutions, uh, these obviously pose huge problems. You know, if we look at governments, what would it mean if a government created a model and you know embraced a model that operated like Airbnb? You know, where is the kind of higher level responsibility? And that's something that I'm very concerned about, and I think we all should be concerned about. Yeah, and I recognize that from my own work as well. What you say about like the trust in institutions, because 
the organization I work with uh, most have a grassroots um, history, but they've grown really large uh, into large institutions over time. And this institutionalism uh, means, of course, more bureaucracy, which creates less flexibility and more distance to the people they work from. So this lack of locality and lack of flexibility and also a lack of represent representation of the diverse range of voices they work for mean problem for the uh, solutions they offer for the people. So. Yeah, I can see that um, the people don't trust institutions. Well, they trust us less and less because the solutions they get offered don't fit what they actually need. So they don't trust that the institution have the best, yeah, the best for with these people. So what do you say that, um, what is the major challenges facing organizations or institutions like that, like, like local government, like housing associations, or like uh, Davos? probably as well, like what should they do to yeah, rebuild or maintain trust? Yeah, so I talk a lot about five values of neo-trust. So basically if we're looking at uh, the history of trust, you know, we started off with local trust uh, where people lived in small communities and they really trusted one another on an individual basis because they were able to know everybody in their community. Uh, then we moved to an area of centralized trust uh, where trust and you know people kind of gathered together in larger societies, and that's where institutions were really born, and uh, that's where the stamp of approval of large corporations and local and national governments, you know, that's really where it came together. Um, as I mentioned previously, we're now in an era of distributed trust, which is more peer-to-peer, -peer. Uh, and I'm really looking at ways that we can rebuild trust in terms of creating neo-trust. So that's a top-down, bottom-up approach. Uh, it's global and local, and it combines technology and people power. And in terms of the, the ways that small organizations and, and large institutions can really embrace this is through five key values. So that's through authenticity, curiosity, flexibility, humility, and accountability, right? And if they take into account all of these five things and they really adopt them, uh, I believe they'll have a better time and an easier time connecting with their stakeholders. And do you have, um, do you have examples from from organization or institution already doing this or making a good job? Can you make it concrete? Because it sounds really good. I mean, I would I love that every organization would adapt these, <laughs> these values, but do you see it happening? So I think Davos is an interesting example because the World Economic Forum is doing a lot to bring in different stakeholders. Um, so even though we think about it as a kind of, you know, large government leaders and business leaders hobnobbing, actually they're doing a lot to bring different stakeholders into the fold. So as I mentioned, they're bringing together a community of people under 30. Uh, they even have religious leaders and civil society leaders there representing their perspective. Um, and even though there's not as much of a presence of women on the ground, last year's annual meeting had seven, all seven co-chairs were actually women. So I think they are trying to adapt and uh, they are adopting these values in, in really interesting ways that also maintain the ethos of the institution. Yeah, and then so of course linked to the question of impact, right? Like what is Davos, what's the impact of Davos and is this decline in trust or the rebuilding of trust, yeah, is that something that's from this day and age, or are people always a bit skeptical of these big global institutions? Maybe you can tell a bit about that. So I think, again, it's important to have a healthy skepticism about what's really happening behind closed doors. Um, and in a world where we're having fewer and fewer closed door discussions, obviously people are 
questioning more and more the value of these types of conversations. I still think there is a time and a place where we want to have off-the-record conversations, but they need to be amplified and augmented in ways that make sure that people realize why they're important and what the outcome is, right? And so I think, you know, it's it's necessary to have some level of privacy, uh, but how do we, even in those private conversations, create a, a higher level of transparency around what was discussed and what those outcomes were? Interesting, yeah. So we actually maybe need more privacy to rebuild trust. I think there's an element of that, right? So when we look at, you know, an era of WikiLeaks and whistleblowers, what does it really, you know, are we developing more trust when we find out every small detail? I mean, yes, it's important to hold institutions and people to account, right? Especially if they're leaders. Um, but when people are so mindful of making a mistake or, um, you know, engaging in human behavior, um, you know, you need to be vulnerable to build trust. And I think if, if the aim is perfection, that's just not attainable. And so how do we provide that level of forgiveness, you know, that make it a little bit more forgiving? Yeah, and not like blow it up on, media, on social media immediately when someone, yeah, makes a mistake. Or think critically about what it means, right? Give, give people the benefit of the doubt. I'm not saying that there is not a place and a time for sharing things that are inappropriate, uh, you know, in terms of somebody did something wrong and we have to hold them to account. Uh, but sometimes people make small mistakes and, and we really have to think about them in context. Yeah, nuance. Mm, yeah. Definitely. So we're both roughly the same age in our 30s, uh, so-called millennials. You've studied and worked a lot with millennials in Impact Squared. So is there a special role for our organization in this day and age? in regard to rebuilding trust? Absolutely, so I think as the first generation of digital natives, we have a responsibility to be that bridge between you know, the older society that is still trying to understand this world and younger individuals who don't remember anything other than this world. I think uh, we live in an interesting era because we actually remember going online, right? I don't know if you yeah. feel the same way, but you know, we, we weren't born with an iPhone in our hands. It was something that came out and we remember that process of adapting to this new world, right? And so we're going to be the only generation that experiences that. And so we, we really need to be that bridge. So, so what is your concrete plans for rebuilding trust? How, how you move forward with this topic? What are your uh, yeah. ideas? So in terms of how organizations can rebuild trust, you know, we're looking at how do they embrace these values? How do they empower their people to you know, engage in, in more meaningful and trustful activities? Um, how do they enlighten the skeptics within and outside of their organization? Um, and how do they engage more broadly to become advocates for their cause? So those, I would say, are ways that, that we can help organizations build trust. And the ways that I'm helping to, to guide that process is through writing and consulting. So I'll be focusing with some organizations, helping them think through what this looks like for them. And I'm also writing a book on this topic. Interesting. So if you, if you like, we have, you, you mentioned these values, right? So let's take an example. The Center for Social Innovation. Mm -hmm. What should we do? What are we doing good? And what could we improve on? for these five values? I think that's a great question. You know, for the Center for Social Innovation, obviously I, I really appreciate the perspective and the point of view. Even this idea of having critical friends uh, is something that the sector needs to do a bit more often. So I would say there's a lot going well here. Um, 
one of the things that I would say is how are we measuring our impact, right? So what level of accountability do we have to people on the ground and those who are following our work? You know, how do we make sure that we're staying true to our principles um, and sharing the output accordingly? Yes, because I totally remember, I forgot to tell that Noah is also a fellow practitioner in the Center for Social Innovation, so that's really good. So we are really happy to keep her close <laughs> and to make the best use of her advice and her book when it's coming out. Do you have any timeline? Where should um, we? So in this next year, it's going to be written, and so hopefully within 18 months it will be published. That's the current plan. So. 2019, Noah Gavney, Rebuilding Trust, keep an eye on that. Thank you very much, Noah. It was a delight to be able to explore this topic with you. Thank you so much for having me, Sar. In addition, thank you to those who have listened to the discussion. I'm sure that you'll agree that it has been very thought-provoking and that Rebuilding Trust is an interesting topic to keep an eye on in the future. I hope that you can join me and our future guests in exploring more of these fascinating issues next time.